Welcome to Down in the Den, hashtag D-I-T-D. I'm your host, Mars, back from a small hiatus. Batteries are charged. I'm feeling good. I'm refueled and I'm back to give you the best information in all things pop cultures for movies, music, video games, pro wrestling, and everything in and around the spectrum. So uh, thanks, guys, for uh, all the I've been a lot of questions. Hey, where's the last episode? We're used to having three or four episodes a week. Just needed to recharge my batteries, but I'm back for you guys. I'm never going to leave you guys uh, abandoned that long. It's been a long time. I shouldn't have left you. But uh, let's get right into it. So I took a few weeks off, and the world of pro wrestling just pretty much flipped upside down. Over in the WWE world at Super Showdown, we saw Bill Goldberg. That's right, 90s phenom Bill Goldberg did the unthinkable, accomplished the impossible, and defeated Bray Wyatt the Fiend at Super Showdown. And I totally get the logic behind this, but I'm just so, so afraid. Bray Wyatt has done more than anyone in recent history to get himself over he did it with his Swamp character. He did it with his Eater of Worlds character. He did it with the Fiend to a level that I haven't seen since really The Undertaker. And Everyone had huge hopes for this character, and I still think it can be salvaged, but it's just really, really, really awful. And this is no disrespect to Bill Goldberg. I understand he's money. He's still an iconic name, and unlike some of the older uh, wrestlers, he can still go and it's still believable. Uh, when the whole match was booked, I was worried from onset because I'm thinking there's no way they're going to let a guy who beat Brock Lesnar, who is clearly the pinnacle of a monster in WWE, a guy who beat Brock Lesnar in a few seconds, lose to The Fiend. So I was very, very worried for The Fiend's title ring. And obviously, Bray Wyatt, The Fiend, doesn't need the title to get over to the character. Similar to The Undertaker, where you have some characters like Triple H and John Cena, who've had 16, 13 title reigns. Undertaker, I believe, has had six. Uh, Someone like Shawn Michaels has had four. Uh, Back in the day, you really didn't see people have 13, 14, 15 reigns because when they won the championship, they kept it for a large amount of time. So you would see someone win the title, keep it for a year, and not lose until the WrestleMania, or keep it... In the case of someone like Hulk Hogan, he at one point kept the title for five years. Uh, Bruno San Martino also kept the title for mul- multiple years. So things have changed. When you have you know, 12 pay-per-views per year, you're going to see title changes a lot more often. I get it. I totally understand. But I just don't think it was the right time. The consolation prize is that hopefully WWE does the right thing. And by pitting Bray Wyatt the Fiend against John Cena... We can have the rights wrong. We get back to the storyline. Clearly, the storyline with the Fiend has been he's a character that's been created by Bray Wyatt to right the wrongs. So, hopefully, we still have a Fiend versus Randy Orton in the card somewhere. And obviously, John Cena beat Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania a few years ago. And, and this will be a great opportunity for the Fiend to get back on track. Uh, but it, it was still disappointing to literally have the Fiend who in previous matches, have gone through everything, especially that very first match with Seth Rollins, and it's been built to be this undefeatable, unkillable monster to lose to Goldberg in, you know, less than a minute, 
and really get defeated by two haphazard spears and a botch jackhammer. It was just, it was really anticlimactic. But hopefully, this little stumbling block, and we can get back to it in a later date, maybe, you know, a year from now, if Goldberg still wants to wrestle, he could pay it forward and, and get that receipt. And we will see. Bill Goldberg versus Brock Let. I'm sorry, my apologies. We will see Bill Goldberg versus Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. And I know the goal all along was to get the belt back on Roman Reigns. He never lost it. And, and, and this can be good. My only hope is that they don't go for the face versus face match. It's not going to work. Bill Goldberg is going to get booed out of the building, so you might as well embrace it. If I have the pencil... I'm making Bill Goldberg the most cocky, arrogant heel you've ever seen in this build-up to WrestleMania so the fans can truly get behind Roman Reigns. And and we'll see from there. Uh, but yeah, uh, it was just really, really shocking to have this happen again. We saw it happen a few years ago with CM Punk and The Rock. CM Punk carries the baton all the way to the finish line and then The Rock swoops in and has the title match at WrestleMania. We've seen this happen before with Bill Goldberg and Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens is carrying the belt all the way to the finish line, and it looks like we're going to have this build-up of Kevin Owens versus Chris Jericho for the Universal title. Bill Goldberg swipes in at the last second and takes the title, and now we get Goldberg uh, versus uh, Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. Now Bill Goldberg has done it again. I don't think this is going to get Bill Goldberg any fans, but if they organically let him be a heel in this, I still think they can get a WrestleMania match. It's not going to be long. It's not going to be pretty, but it's going to get the fan reaction you desire and what the fan reaction is to have Roman Reigns finally cheered and crown the Universal Champion on the SmackDown side of things. Matt Hardy, uh, Big Money Matt, uh, the extreme icon, uh, the broken, woken Matt Hardy has let his contract expire. It wasn't anything about money. Obviously, WWE was putting big money on the table, as they had been with everything. But it's about creativity. He said it himself. He pictures three to four years left in the ring, and he really he's made enough money in his career to live a fantastic life, and and he doesn't have to work. So I totally understand at this point in your career when you want creativity to uh, to flourish. I really think the WWE dropped the ball with Matt Hardy. Obviously, Vince has his own vision, and he gave Matt Hardy an opportunity with his version of Woken Matt, and he gave him an oppor- gave him an opportunity, but it's no question that Vince has always seen Jeff Hardy as the money uh, player in that tag team and I really think if he would let Matt have a creativity ball I was really 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 hoping especially after the loss of Matt joining forces with Bray Wyatt in some way with the Fiend and his character could have been fantastic those two I believe are creative geniuses and could have done something really creative. But Vince rather let him walk away than to give him that creative control. And we've seen in this free the free uh the delete uh YouTube series, he's uh had the young bucks from AEW show up 
I'm pretty certain that he's going to show up in AEW. A lot of people believe that he's going to be the exalted one in the Dark Order. I don't believe he's going that route. I think he wants to do his own creativity and instead of fitting in that particular space that's already been carved out. I could see him doing something very similar to what he did in TNA when they had their expedition of gold. Him and Jeff Hardy had an expedition of gold where they were going to different uh, federations and different wrestling organizations and procuring gold. I could see him doing something, signing very short-term contracts, a few matches here in AEW, show up in Ring of Honor, show up in New Japan, show up in NWA Power, show up in Impact, do his thing, really build his character, get piping hot again, and then maybe showing back up to WWE with that very big push behind him. That's what I'm hoping, uh, but who knows? Uh, I haven't been the hugest supporter of AEW. I like some of the things they do, some of the things not so much, and I would hate to see him get that AEW stink on him. Not that it's a stink, I should rephrase that, but that AEW, everything right now, Vince is drawing lines in the sand. And if you're associated, we've seen it with Vicky Guerrero, she shows up at AEW, they're not returning her calls. Diamond Dallas Page, who was working down in the Performance Center, he shows up AEW, they're not taking his call. So right now, Vince is really, you know, he's a competitive guy, and he's drawing lines in the sand. If you affiliate yourself with AEW, you're not going to be welcomed back into the arms of WWE anytime soon. And no matter what you feel about the WWE, it's some guys that are WWE guys, and I believe Matt Hardy is truly one of those guys, and, and I would really hate to see him not be able to get his just due in the WWE, especially as we wind down to the tail end of his career. Uh, also, in AEW, we saw John Moxley, formerly known as Dean Ambrose, uh, defeat Chris Jericho at their pay-per-view to become the new AEW champion. Um, I'm going to be honest, not the biggest John Moxley fan in the world. Wasn't really a big fan of him as Dean Ambrose in the WWE. Uh, I certainly see what some people see behind him, but I feel his in-ring work could use some improvement don't really like his character so much of the kind of Billy Badass, uh, cool, but vicious. I, I don't really see his character, but I certainly see what a lot of people see in him. It just personally for me, doesn't do it for me. Either it's John Moxley or Dean Ambrose. I always thought he was the weakest link in the shield, except he could cut a pretty decent promo. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've seen uh, Chris Jericho... I dethroned, which this was totally the build for. Um, we'll see how long John Moxley keeps the title. There's characters uh, in AEW like Kenny Omega, who people are wondering when he's going to get his push, and a lot of people are disappointed so far on how he's been used. But I understand these guys are not only wrestlers, but they're executives. So there's a reason Cody Rhodes hasn't had the world title put on him, and he's only had one title match. There's a reason Kenny Omega hasn't really been in the title picture. There's a reason that the Young Bucks aren't the tag team champions because when you are a vice president and you have a role in the corporate side of things, booking yourself to be a champion looks poor. 
I'm certain at one point all of these guys are going to be champions, but this is the first year. They have plenty of time, and they pretty much have dedicated their lives to building this AEW thing. So it makes sense. John Moxley was the hottest free agent when he signed. He gets his title run. Give him the ball. Let's see what he can do. He has a creative freedom to do so. But I was really liking the whole champion thing with Chris Jericho. I think he really put the company on his back with his stint as the first champion. I'm certain he'll be champion again. Uh, but we'll we'll see what goes on in the world of AEW. John Moxley now has the ball and it's hits. Uh, show to run, and we'll see what the Motsley era is in AEW. All we can do is stay tuned. Now, the aspect on this most recent Raw that really excited me the most was the fire and the fans behind Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre has the organic growth that we should have seen with Roman Reigns. And right now, I think he's the hottest player in pro wrestling right now and if they book this right they can have a superstar for the next five or ten years that can really be the face of the company he has the look that Vince likes he has the size that Vince likes he's really good on the mic he has a dynamic move set he can go in the ring he's the full package what they presented him as the future five or ten years ago when he first debuted in AEW he has finally put himself in the place where he should be what they built him at when he first made his WWE debut. Uh, The way that, and a lot of people hate Brock Lesnar. They claim he's lazy. Brock Lesnar is a genius. John Cena said it, that he might be the best in-ring performer. Say what you will, but Brock Lesnar loves his business and he always does the right thing. He loses when he's supposed to lose. He wins when he's supposed to win. And he always does the right thing for the business. And him laying out in that classic SmackDown pose where he's just arms spread eagle, lit, spread eagle, he's knocked out, taking those three Claymore kicks, going to Claymore country, being dominated. This is not a guy who is all about himself. This is a guy who's putting the product first and he knows what's good for business and what's best for business. And right now it's best for business is Drew McIntyre taking the strap off of him at WrestleMania. And I truly believe unless something changes at the last minute, that's what's going to happen at WrestleMania. And I'm really excited by this organic growth of Drew McIntyre. Unfortunately, on the other side of WWE things, It seems like Vince is tired with another toy. We saw this with Cedric Alexander where he was pushed and it looks like the world was his oyster. And then just as quickly as he was pushed, he was de-pushed and put back on to 205 Live. And rumor has it that Vince is tired of Ricochet. Uh, Ricochet is not my favorite, to be honest. He's a little too clean cut, a little too uh, for the kids for me. But I certainly saw that he could have been the next Rey Mysterio, but it appears that Vince is tired of him. Uh, He had a very, very mediocre, if not poor, showing against Brock Lesnar at Super Showdown. Uh, I'm not quite certain how long the match was, but it wasn't long. I don't think he got any offensive maneuvers, and he was dominated 
by Brock Lesnar, and, and that's fine. If Brock Lesnar can dominate Kofi Kingston, he certainly can dominate someone like Ricochet. Uh, but what really shocked me is the Nets Monday Night Raw, where he loses cleanly uh, to the 24-7 champion Riddick Moss. Uh, cleanly. And I, I don't know where you go down from there or, or can recover from there. Hopefully, he can find his way back in the NXT and Triple H can do something with him, similar to what he did with Finn Balor. But I really feel his days as a main eventer on Raw are over. Vince is tired of him. Doesn't appear he cares too much, and, and he's going right down the chain. So unless they have a storyline plan for this, for WrestleMania season, the big comeback perhaps, and you'll see that a lot, or usually a loss will lead to a heel turn. Ricochet is a natural face with his move set. Um, so I don't see him becoming a heel anytime soon. So I, I don't know what's going on, but I wouldn't be surprised to see, I don't know if he's in hot water with the back office or it's truly that Vince is just tired of his toy. But um, I, I feel bad for Ricochet because I think he was really built up to be a top star. And right now it's not looking too good. And it looks like he may be on his way to be the push um, from a mid-carder to a lower mid-carder. And, and once you get in that zone, it's very, very hard to rebuild yourself back up. So, uh, as I mentioned, I'm not a big fan of Ricochet, but I certainly, certainly don't want to see this guy get to push the way he is and losing cleanly to Reddit Moss, the 24-7 champion, a title that was pretty much just a joke title for our truth to do segments. It's really disheartening, and I, and I, I feel bad for the guy. He was definitely someone that I feel could have really been pushed and taken that Ray Mysterio role where the kids love him. He has high-flying matches, and he stays in that upper mid-card to main event scene. And right now, it seems like he is falling down the card as we speak. Now, something that really excited me over on the AEW side, Jake the Snake made a surprise return. He cut an excellent promo. The guy still can cut a promo. And it's really a shame. It's a great, great find for AEW and a great uh, move for AEW to get him on the roster. Uh, a lot of people in AEW have a multitude of roles. They're not only in-ring performers or managers, but they're also using their expertise to really uh, build up the company. And no one cuts a promo quite like Jake the Snake. Uh, he's a natural for that. And to have him on the roster is a great move for AEW. And it's a shame that WWE couldn't find something for him. Uh, the guy turned his life around. He got clean and sober. He's been clean and sober for a while now. And he has a great mind, if not one of the best minds around for the business. And I truly feel a backstage role in AEW, I'm sorry, NXT, or helping with storylines or helping with promos would have been a great use for this guy to give back to the business that he's dedicated his life to. And AEW is going to give him the opportunity to do so. Similar to how they have Tully Blanchard managing Sean Spears. Similar to how they have Arn Anderson managing Cody Rhodes. I got a feeling that this client that Jake the Snake has that he says is going to go to the dark side. I'm thinking it's going to be Luke Harper. Some people are speculating it might be Matt Hardy. Matt Hardy doesn't need a mouthpiece. Luke Harper, Jake the Snake together. That's money that you can print, and that can be the next big feud for Cody Rhodes. 
Cody Rhodes right now is probably, in my opinion, the top face in this business. Everywhere he goes, every promo he cuts, the passion behind it, he's really showing that he is his father's son and he has an opportunity to be one of the biggest stars in the industry and he's making stars with everyone he faces. Uh, he definitely did a fantastic job with MGF, MJF and if they're going to be moving from that rivalry, Jake the Snake and Luke Harper versus him and Arn Anderson in his corner is money and I'm hoping that's going to be the special client that Jake the Snake is indicating he's bringing. We'll probably find out in a week or two when Luke Harper's non-compete clause expires. Now, moving on from pro wrestling, it seems like every time I go to the Twitterverse and I hit the Twitter machine or I go on the websites, I see set photos from the Batman. And at first, I was a little nervous about this movie. Um, I'm a big fan of the director, uh, Matt Reeves, big fan of his work. Uh, but when the casting start coming out and his description of his take, it was so vague, it made me really nervous. He kept saying this is going to be a really a point of view driven, focused Batman movie focusing on aspects of the Batman that we haven't seen on film before, really focusing on the detective side. And we know it was an original story, um, and it wasn't an origin story. There was talk of it taking place in the 80s or the 90s. So there was so much going on and so much talk of what his view for the Batman will be that it made me nervous. And then when the casting came out, we knew that we weren't going to see Ben Affleck, Affleck reprise the role, and it later came out that... It wasn't so much the script that came out as just the pressure of being in these huge blockbuster movies became too much for Ben Affleck. And he said that led to his relapse. And I can imagine he dreamed of the role of Batman. He is a lifelong Batman fan. He was given the keys and he was going to have the ability to write the script, direct and star in. But unfortunately, with the mishaps in Batman versus Superman, and the lack of critical acclaim, and then the flop of Justice League, it just became too much for him, and uh, too much focus, especially after already um, being a failure with Daredevil. And, and I can imagine, if you're a superstar, those things hurt your ego. Uh, if you're an actor, you probably have a fragile ego, as it is. So I totally support Ben Affleck stepping away. I actually think he was a great Batman, and he actually shined through some of the poor pacing and poor script and uh, just poor plot points of Batman versus Superman and Justice League. And I think he was really a really good Batman. And I would have loved to see what he did with that character. But that's gone. So we have this new Batman. And Rob Patterson, seen him in a few things. I believe he's a quality actor. He certainly fits the ideal look of a younger uh, Batman. Um, but I, I wasn't really fond of this potentially taking place in the 90s. Now that the set photos have come out, clearly this isn't going to be taking place in the 80s or 90s. It appears to be modern day, which I'm happy about. 
And it looks really, really good from what I've seen so far. And what really uh, got me, I wasn't too keen on the Batman costume. We saw footage with a stuntman on the motorcycle and we saw a clear view of the Batman costume and looked really bulky and almost homemade like he got armor and metal and kind of built it himself. And I think that's going to be one of his Batman costumes, but I don't think it's going to be his only Batman costume. And the footage that we saw of the new Batmobile really blew my mind. I loved it. I love the idea that it's just a muscle car that he's worked on and added some things to. And I can kind of see from that Batmobile where we're going. We're not going into this Batman slash James Bond like we had with Batman Begins and the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises, the Dark Knight trilogy, where Morgan Freeman pretty much played Q. And instead of just being Lucius Fox, he's responsible for the costume. He's responsible for the Batmobile. He's responsible for the Batcycle. He's responsible for the Batplane. And everything's laid out there for Bruce Wayne. And although that was an awesome origin, it kind of took away from Bruce Wayne being this genius who does everything himself. Here you can clearly see this rich guy. He takes a sports car. He modifies it himself. It looks like he take scrap and metal and makes a Batman costume himself and it gives room to involve from my understanding this is going to be Batman in the second year of being Batman so while it's not an origin story we're seeing very early proto versions of Batman very early proto versions of Catwoman early versions of Penguin early versions of the Riddler so I'm very excited to what's going to go down with this. And this is just from seeing the early footage. I feel we're going to get a mix of the grounded approach of Christopher Nolan. But we're also going to see something very new, a brand new vision. And I'm thinking we're going to see time skips through this new new planned trilogy. I think we're going to see second year Batman here. And then by the time we get the second one, you may see three, four, or five years pass. We get a more experienced Batman, new costume. You see these villains involved. And I'm really excited for this. I, I believe it's going to take elements of the Hush storyline. And if you haven't read the Hush storyline, I definitely recommend checking it out. It's one of the better uh, Batman stories that have been done in recent years. And I think it's going to have a lot of influence from that. But let me tell you, the Fast and Furious Batman Batmobile is awesome. And I I can't wait to see that thing in action. And I can't wait to see uh, where we go. I I may have to take myself on a spoiler alert from seeing so many of these screenshots of what's going on on the set. Because right now I'm putting the movie that I want to see in my head. And that only leads to disappointment. I want to go in there with an empty brain and absorb this director's vision of Batman and I I really want to see what they can do with this character because I love Marvel. I'm going to say make my Marvel all the time. I prefer the Marvel movies. I prefer the Marvel comics. Not so much the animation. DC wins in that respect. But I'm very, very excited to see what Matt Reeves is going to do with this version of the Batman. And as more photos come out, getting more and more excited.
more and more excited. And I think Rob Patterson's going to do a really good job along with the cast that they've put around. And we know it's coming. Uh, it's just a matter of time. I don't think it's going to be in this movie. But by the second or third, we know we're going to see a new Joker. And I'm really excited to see who is going to be cast as new Joker. We know there's no chance of walking Phoenix in this universe. That Batman is set in the 80s. I'm sorry. That Gotham is set in the 80s. It's a standalone movie. I can't see Joaquin Phoenix jumping on the blockbuster route, even though Joker made a billion dollars. Plus, I don't see him linking with this version of the Batman. So that means we're going to get a third Joker in, in within the uh, last 10 years. Or actually, uh, fourth Joker, if you count um Jared Leto, who I, I forget about that. So in the last 10 to 15 years, we're going to have four Jokers. That's more than uh, we've had Batmans. So I'm very, very excited about this. And, and a lot of people are saying Johnny Depp. I saw some speculation out there on the, on the interwebs and Twitter machine that Johnny Depp is potentially being looked at as a potential Joker, which I'm sure he could do a fine job at that. Um, but with everyone being so much younger on the younger side, I think you're going to get a younger actor that can grow into the role since we're seeing a young proto-Catwoman, a young Riddler, a young Batman. I don't think we're going to get a 50-year-old Joker or, or almost 60-year-old Joker, especially if they're going to be doing trilogy over the next 10 years. By the time they introduce them, we're looking at a 65-year-old Johnny Depp. I don't foresee that. So... Who do you think out there? Who would you like to see as the next Joker in this new The Batman trilogy? Um, I'm interested. And so I would love to see all my down in the dinners comment, post, tell me who you think would be the best actor to play the new Joker. We know it's coming. It's just a matter of time. So who's it going to be? I don't know, but um, I have some thoughts on who I would like to see take on uh, this character, but it seems like you put the Joker in a movie, except for Jared Leto, we won't talk about that. Put the Joker in a movie, he's going to get nominated for an Academy Award, so it better be a hell of an actor if he's going to portray this character, especially after what Joaquin Phoenix did to uh, win his Academy Award. It's going to be a role that I know a lot of serious actors are going to be prying for, and some are going to be intimidated by, but it's going to be interesting, very interesting. So today it was announced that HBO is working on an adaption of the Loss of Us video game. And this will be in place of the film that was originally announced in 2015. And if you know anything about Mars, look at me talking to myself in the uh, first person. But if you know anything about me, I love my video games and I love my HBO series. So this combining i think it's awesome part two of that video game and if you haven't played it check it out they have the very first version on playstation where you can download for i think like nine bucks but it's an awesome game it's very similar to the walking dead plus uh i don't know it's a hard hard video game to describe but it's an awesome video game it's in a world where they're not quite zombies they're more like rage infected beasts uh where they're human but they get infected by this rage type of virus kind of like 28 days later 
And when they announced the movie, there's not too many video game to movie adaptions that I've seen that have really been on par or even been good for that matter. But this type of uh, video game lends itself to that chapter storytelling where you can have six one-hour episodes or ten one-hour episodes and really dig into the depth of these characters and really dig into the world that they've built, similar to what HBO did with the... uh, Regina King-led Watchmen series, that limited series. I I don't know if it's going to be a limited series or a series with multiple seasons. There's definitely enough in that world, in that universe, where they can certainly do multiple seasons if they want to. Um, I don't know if that's the route they're going to go, but I'm super excited to see this on the small screen as it's one of my favorite video games that came out in the last 10 uh, to 15 years uh, the Last of Us. So having this as an HBO show is going to be very excited to me. I, I believe it's set for 2021 for release. And HBO is a, a great home for this type of series. They they have done some really, really classic shows uh, from Deadwood to Six Feet Under to The Watchmen that I, I mentioned previously to Curb Your Enthusiasm, HBO, uh, The Sopranos, uh the Wire, how can I forget The Wire? HBO has been the home of some of the greatest shows in television history. And with the right people behind this, I feel like they have an opportunity to make a show that's really going to be groundbreaking, innovative, uh, classic storytelling, and gives an opportunity to really grow with the audience. And it already has a built-in audience. It was one of the highest-selling video games the year it came out. Um, it's got a sequel that's coming out very soon. And it's going to be perfect. It has a great synergy with the new video game coming out. And then the series, I think if they really work this properly, we have an opportunity to have another another hit on our hands. And I'm super excited to see what they do with that. Also in the TV world, more and more screenshots and, and footage from the Disney Plus Marvel shows have been coming out. And... uh I tell you, I don't want to leave the house in danger of something happened to me for 2021. There's so much good entertainment coming out in the next year. And uh, I've seen some recent screenshot for the Loki series where it looks like we have either female Loki or the Enchantress. I'm leaning more to the Enchantress since uh, Loki was in the same scene. And obviously, if you look in the comic books with film female Loki, it's actually just Loki in female form. Uh, when he stole the body of Sif, and clearly we didn't see uh, the actress, I believe Jamie Alexander, who plays Sif in this, so clearly I don't think it's uh, female Loki, I think it's truly the Enchantress. She's either going to be working with Loki or perhaps being one of the main antagonists in this series. It looks like he's being put to work by the TVA, the Time Variance uh, Association, I believe. Um, So I'm really looking forward to what's going on with the Loki series. I've also seen some more footage, some more fight scenes of the new uh, Captain America, John Walker, and uh, the Winter Soldier uh, Falcon series, or Falcon Winter Soldier series. That looks really good. It's also been announced that Jeremy Renner is beginning work on the Hawkeye series, even though we haven't had 
uh, Kate Bishop announcement yet. Uh, work has begun on that, and that's also uh, scheduled for a 2021 release. So the footage that's coming out is looking epic, looking really, really good on the TV front. So there's a lot for us to be excited about in the next year or two on the uh, entertainment front between The Last of Us and, of course, the Marvel MCU shows on Disney+. Plus. 2021 is going to be a big year in TV, and I'm super stoked about that, most definitely. Man, we seem like we can't end any episode of Down in the Den without talking about Star Wars. It always makes its way back to the forefront. And with The Rise of Skywalker coming on Blu-ray very soon, there's been leaks of, of course, the previous script from Colin Trevorrow? Tomorrow? Colin? The other director. Um of his version, which seemed super amazing. But now that the novelization of the movie is coming out, we're hearing more and more of the backstory of things that weren't shown on the film. And I am not one of the people that have been pooping on the rise of Skywalker. Um, I've said it previously in a prior review, a few episodes back that I liked the movie and that hasn't changed. I did like the movie. I really did. I think they did a really good job, J.J. Abrams. But there was a lot of backstory that I feel was more exciting than what was put on the screen. Potentially how Palpatine returned, what's the meaning of them being a dyad in the Force, uh, the relationship between Ben Solo, a.k.a. Kylo Ren and Rey, uh, the development of... Finn's Jedi power. There was a lot of backstory that was left that could have been explored in that movie, in that trilogy, that unfortunately went by the wayside, and more than likely with none of the characters or actors that play these characters interested in really returning anytime soon, and with the Skywalker saga apparently over, we're probably not going to see any development of those threads that were left dangling but first, we received a note from the folks at Lucasfilm and Disney that the kiss between Ray and Ben Solo was not romantic. And, of course, me and my friends, when we're celebrating, we are always give a nice, passionate kiss. But uh, apparently, they're saying it was more of a appreciation kiss, like, thank you. I guess a hug or a handshake wouldn't do in that scenario. But now... We're getting news that, yes, Palpatine was indeed a clone. That would have been helpful to actually been explored in the movie. Something like that, I don't think you really should leave as a mystery. But from the novelization, they're indicating that, indeed, the secret to immortality had been mastered from Palpatine. And so the novelization indicates that, Palpatine could see flickering within Darth Vader in the years before Darth Vader threw him down that chasm in the Death Star. He could see the flickering. So he was prepared and had mastered the ability for immortality. So pretty much from the novelization, as Darth Vader pits him up and throws him down his chasm, As he's falling, he transfers his consciousness into one of the many made clones 
that were prepped and ready in case Darth Vader turned on him or in case he died in some type of way, natural or unnatural. The problem with that, this had never been indicated on film ever before, even in The Rise of Skywalker. So to get this huge element in the novelization, I feel it was a disservice for all of us who've been fans of Star Wars for the last three or four decades for them to simply put that in the novelization. That's a big plot point that should have been explored in film. And I don't know if this was J.J. Abrams' decision or Disney's decision. From what I'm hearing and from what it's rumored, there's another version that goes into greater detail about, uh, and this is straight from Ian McDermott's mouth, about uh, how Darth Sidious, a.k.a. Palpentine, survived and it wasn't shown on film so I, I really feel that's a big disservice to the fan that's something we should have seen they've done flashbacks in the rise of skywalker which had never really been done before in the prior star wars movies so they could have cut back to him uh falling down that chasm transferring his consciousness it would have been great to show and i think it would have made him as a overall overarching villain of the saga which instead of looking like they threw him in at the last minute, it would have given the opportunity to say, wow, this man was prepared for everything, and he really orchestrated the entire Skywalker saga. Uh, Another element that was brought up through the novelization is that apparently Ray's father was a failed clone. That would have been helpful because... The idea of Palpentine having this son that no one knew about, a natural son conceived in a natural way, just didn't seem believable to me. It didn't make really make much sense. We've never seen him with a wife or any type of romantic interest. And so we were just supposed to assume off screen while mastering the Senate and manipulating the entire uh, galaxy and becoming this evil ruler that he had time to uh, take a wife and have children. And it made no sense. It came out of left field. It makes perfect sense that her father is a failed clone that escaped somehow and, uh, and he took on a life of his own. That would make perfect sense. So I would have loved for that to have been explored, but obviously when you have different directors doing their own thing and you don't have the storyline or plots really created before you start filming this movie or this series of movies, this is something that can happen. And clearly this last trilogy has really um, suffered from too many cooks in the kitchen, too many people putting their spin on what they want Star Wars to be instead of looking at what George Lucas the creator wanted to be following his guidelines and putting their own spin on it and having one creative mind behind the overarching story. I have no problem with having multiple directors, but they should have had one person with vision that had the major plot points of where you can go. And that's what Kevin Feige does for Marvel. He gives the directors a lot of creative freedom, but there are certain elements that have to be included in the movie Because these aren't standalone movies. And when you have a saga like Star Wars, you can't say this director is going to have creative freedom. This director is going to have creative freedom. 
you can get there how you want to get there, but there's certain plot points that have to be included. And unfortunately, I feel the Rise of Skywalker suffered from this. And it's really a shame that this new trilogy suffered when they're all over at Disney and they've seen the success of Marvel and how they've done this by having things mapped out. When you're going to do a movie that's not a standalone movie, it has to be mapped out before you start filming and before you start putting these movies out. Because when you do, you end up with major plot points left on the cutting room floor and it leaves the audience stupefied. And and I hate it. And this happened in Endgame as well. I hate it when the directors and the writers and have to come out and explain, oh, no, this means this. I totally get it with Endgame because time travel is confusing and has the ability to just really open up the floor for so many, well, if you could time travel here, why won't you go back and do this? Why don't you go back and do this? Why didn't you fix this? You have the ability to time travel. It's one of the reasons one of my favorite shows, Rick and Morty, don't mess with time travel because once you put that on the table, it really has the ability to retcon everything that happened before and everything that happens after. Uh, but Marvel was able to successfully navigate that for the most part, even though there's still some back and forth about uh, Steve Rogers going back in time and staying uh, with Peggy. There's a lot of uh, back and forth between that. But overall, it, it was just really interesting to see this new news that's coming out with the novelization and to me, like I said, I still like the movie. I still do, and I'm going to stand by my original rating. But it seems like there was potential for an even better movie in the weeds than what we got to see on the big screen. So I don't know if any of these things were filmed. I know that it was potentially uh, in there, but I would love to see a director's cut or maybe even some more expansion. And even though we know if it's not on film, it's not canon, it's interesting to see in the novelization that they gave us the background on a lot of the questions that we were left with when the credits started to roll. But uh, that's it. Like I said, you can't end an episode of DITD without talking about Star Wars somewhere. Guys, I'm never going to leave you that long again. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, thank you so much for all the feedback that I have received. I appreciate it. I love you guys. Please listen, like, subscribe and do me a favor if you like what you're hearing pass it on we want to get those audience numbers up and up and up um the ditd family is here for you let me know what you want to hear what you want to talk about we're going to do that and as always deuces